Welcome, friends. This is episode 63 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. It is great to have you here. However you found us, thank you. But let me tell you about what the cool kids are doing. They're subscribing. Oh, yeah. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts, find Syracuse.com podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. You will get the Syracuse Sports Podcast that you're listening to now. Our Buffalo Bills podcast with Matt Perino. And Ryan Talbot, they just did a huge top 50 list. And, and the offseason targets the Buffalo Bills will go after with $90 million in cap space and a transformative draft on the way for a playoff team that's looking for more in 2020. The Syracuse Football Podcast with Stephen Bailey and Julian Wiggum as well. We're going to get into that today for sure. Zach Arnett was the defensive coordinator for Syracuse football until he wasn't when Mississippi State swooped in and gave him an offer. He couldn't refuse. Did Syracuse Athletic Director John Wildhack do everything he could to keep Arnett here? We look at the 2020 schedule. Sterling Gilbert, the new offensive coordinator, we think he's sticking around. And signing day is on the way. There is a lot of good, needy football to get into, even here at the end of January. But I start with Syracuse basketball, and what they're doing speaks for itself at this point. Their road revenge tour continued earlier this week in South Bend. If you beat Syracuse at the Carrier Dome this year, you better look out because they are out for vengeance. Virginia beats Syracuse at the Dome. Syracuse goes to Charlottesville and beats them in overtime. Virginia Tech beats Syracuse at the Dome. The Orange go to Blacksburg and win a close game there. Notre Dame wins a thriller in the Carrier Dome. A game that came right down to the end, 88-87, back and forth game. We had the same thing Wednesday night in South Bend. The Orange make enough plays, wild swings, lead changes. The Orange are down by 11 and come back. They're up by 13 and give that up. But one more basket made the difference. Syracuse made their free throws. Elijah Hughes has been great. Joe Girard picks up nine rebounds in addition to his free throw shooting, in addition to his three-point shooting. And this is a team that is fun to watch. It's a team that's found something. It's a team that is scoring in the paint. This was a one-dimensional basketball team for a long time this season. But all of a sudden, in the past few games, we've seen Syracuse really establish itself in the paint. 36, 34, 36 points in the paint in their last three games. And it's not just players like Barama Sidibe and Marek Doljai and Quincy Garrier. It's Buddy Beheim willing to take the ball inside the three-point line. It's Elijah Hughes establishing himself all over the court. Go back and watch that Notre Dame game. Elijah Hughes used every shot in the book. The dribble drive, jumpers, catch and shoot, penetrating, using the glass, you name it, he did it. He's become one of the more versatile players in college basketball. He's the leading scorer now in the ACC, plays more minutes than anybody in the ACC, one of the top three-point shooters in the country along with Buddy Beheim and a player that, as Jim Beheim said at his press conference Wednesday night, deserves to be on the top 25 list for the Wooden Award. So all that is established. Syracuse is rebounding better. They're scoring in the paint better. You feel a butt coming, don't you? Yeah, here it is. Syracuse basketball is never truly Syracuse basketball unless that 2-3 zone is humming along. This is a Syracuse basketball team that certainly has made progression on defense. They made enough stops in the second half against Notre Dame to win after neither team could stop the other in the first half of that game. And there's been opportune times on defense when Syracuse comes through. But as we speak, they're 106 in the country in defensive efficiency. Now, they're 20th in the country in offensive efficiency. That's what makes up for it. 
But my question is, can the Syracuse team keep that up? Is that their identity? Is that how they're going to have to make what would be an improbable but a pretty exciting run to the NCAA tournament? They've still got Duke, Florida State, Louisville to come in February. A lot of take-care-of-business games on the slate. We know they're going to stub their toe a couple more times in a tough ACC. As great as it's been that they beat Notre Dame, beat Virginia Tech, beat Virginia, they've all been close games that one or two plays could have tipped the scales the other way. The thing that's going to bring it together for this team is they are about as they are about to flip the calendar to February. We're here already, believe it or not, is defense, that trademark 2-3 zone, which can't be the trademark 2-3 zone. Jim Beheim hinted the other night at his press conference after the game that Syracuse is trying different things on defense, and they need to because they don't have the traditional twin towers at the top of the zone. Buddy Beheim is 6'6". He covers a lot of ground, but there's still a lot of improvement he can make on defense. Joe Girard, for all his hustle and grit and attitude, I think we've got the new Eric Devendorf in town, folks, in a different kind of way, but in that opponents hate him, but you love to have him on your team kind of way. For all that, Joe Girard is barely over six feet and just dove, and just doesn't cover the ground defensively. Quincy Garrier is still learning his way in this defense. Barama Sidibe still gets the wrath of Bayheim on the sidelines at times for defensive miscues. I don't think there's much more you can ask from Marek Doljai there, but it puts a lot of pressure on him to cover a lot of ground in the zone. So as a Syracuse basketball fan, enjoy the ride. They have become fun to watch. They're doing exactly what they need to do. They're taking care of business. They're improving in a lot of key areas as the ACC schedule only gets tougher from here. But unless that trademark 2-3 zone starts humming, I think it's a team that's going to come up short of qualifying for the NCAA tournament because you got to make some stops somewhere along the way. Here at the end of January, usually the Syracuse football slate is not this busy. Sure, the schedule comes out and signing day is coming, but it's a nice, easy pace. It's been anything but that. It's been a hectic week for Dino Babers and this football program. Zach Arnett gone as defensive coordinator. New offensive coordinator coming in. We mentioned the schedule came out. Signing day to come. Where Syracuse goes from here and trying to attract a new defensive coordinator. Not an easy task as January is about to become February. Let's sort through all of it. Stephen Bailey, Nate Mink, my Syracuse.com colleagues, talking football. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. You guys are, you've been busy the past couple of days with some crazy stuff. I don't even know where to start, but welcome back. Good to see you. Thank you. Happy, happy 2020. There you go. Coming out of the shoot here in 2020. So, Zach Arnett. We'll remember the Zach Arnett era fondly as defensive coordinator at uh, Syracuse football. I'll just throw it out there. What the hell happened here? <laughs> My head's still spinning thinking about all this. Do you want to, I'll, I'll take this one to start, I suppose. So my understanding is Syracuse thought it, it, found, it found its defensive coordinator in Zach Arnett, and then Mississippi State <laughs> lost its top candidate for its defensive coordinator search, Brian Newberry, who decided to stay at Navy. The domino effect of the coaching carousel came down on Syracuse. Mississippi State offered Zach Arnett nine hundred grand a year with one hundred fifty thousand in incentives, and that's probably about double what he had accepted at Syracuse. Uh, SU athletic director John Wildhack said he signed an offer sheet. Uh, the terms and how binding that is isn't exactly clear and whether that would have kicked in potentially at a later date we know the kind of business year for coaches usually runs february 1st to january 31st so 
No hard details there besides the offer sheet, but uh, Wildhack then said that Syracuse matched Mississippi State's offer. Uh, certainly some posturing, kind of hard to hard to kind of get the full story and, and where the gray area is there. But you know the bottom line is Mike Leach swooped in, <laughs> offered Syracuse's defensive coordinator a 200% raise and an opportunity to coach in the SEC, and. He went, and now Dino Babers needs to find a defensive coordinator. Nate, the money thing is so interesting because it's hard to get these details out of Syracuse. So Mississippi State helped that process because they swooped in, they signed him. It's a public school. Now you know what they're paying him. John Wildhack tells you earlier this week that, yeah, we were set to match that offer. So Syracuse was kind of in a position of revealing something they normally don't like to and maybe saving a little face here to say, we tried to keep this guy. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think you got to really uh, show your fan base that you're willing to to make a strong offer and and put forth a, a commitment to hire the best coaches you can. And, and Zach obviously was a candidate who drew interest from multiple programs. Uh, is looked at as as really a a young up and coming coach nationally. Uh, brought extensive knowledge of a defensive system that is starting to become in vogue across college football and and really a a nice counterpunch to some of the the spread offenses that have proliferate proliferated throughout the sport over the last decade and a half. So, um, yeah, I mean, I th- I think the I actually almost set aside the money component a little bit here and and really boil it down this way. At the end of the day, uh, if money, all things were equal, he chose the SEC and he chose Mississippi State. You know, that's a personal choice. At the end of the day, I think he has to do what is in the best interest of him and his family, and I really don't think, you know, you can fault a guy for that. You know, from the Syracuse end of things, again, uh, if Syracuse offered the kind of money that uh, reportedly they they offered him, I, I think the story shifts to why <laughs> why is Syracuse not looked at as a desirable destination. You know, when Dino Babers was hired here four years ago, you know, he, he's come out and said agents told him not to take this job. And it took Art Bryles to say, this is a good spot. The ACC doesn't really run the type of offense that you would be implementing in here. You have a chance to really take off and, and run with this thing. And ever since then, whether it's the traditional recruiting methods of bringing in high school talent or, or coaches, as we've seen in this case, uh, he's having a, a harder time convincing other people in seeing Syracuse for what he saw it as. And the, I think I was intrigued, Stephen, by the three-three-five. It, it was something where it would essentially create chaos on both sides of the football. That's why Mike Leach wanted to get Zach Barnett. Think about that combination at Mississippi State, the air raid offense in the three-three-five. I think that's what Dino had in mind here. It was a fresh approach to start over because, as we'll talk about on the offensive side of the ball, he brought in somebody who's familiar with what he does, and they can kind of hit the ground running and try and fix that offense as quickly as possible. So that was something that I think a lot of fans got excited about, too. But now you're in a spot. There's not a ton of three, three, five experts out there that are available at this point. So you've got to make a quick decision if you're Dino Babers. Do I stick with that? Maybe try and get Rocky Long to come in or, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here. Or do you have to completely hit the reset button? And that's not ideal to do here at the end of January. Yeah, it's a great question. And as far as the three three five family, I was texting with uh, a coach in that system last night, and he basically said that there's no one on the market who's run it successfully 
aside from whatever is going on with Rocky Long. Uh, he quote-unquote retired as San Diego State's head coach, but made it clear he'd be open to other opportunities. Uh, and since then, he's kind of gone off the map from what I understand. I was reporting on a Zach Arnett feature and basically everyone who I talked to, and I was like, hey, you got a line for Rocky Long? And they're like, you know, we haven't heard from Rocky in a few weeks. You know, he's kind of... man of mystery. He's, he's maybe retired and went on a little vacation. I don't, I don't know, but he's kind of kept his plans close to the vest and... Uh, obviously, Dino has a relationship with him, right? They met. We don't know the details of the meeting. We don't know whether he was a candidate, whether he was there just speaking regarding Zach Arnett. Uh, but if you're looking for a three-three-five guy, I don't know that there's a great answer that's not Rocky Long, who is a wild card at this point. And I want to go back to something that you said, Nate. I mean, it seemed along the way they did everything right. Rocky Long was here, and the result of that conversation was Zach Arnett. The money seemed to be in line Mississippi State upped that ante. Syracuse was seemingly willing to match it, but it was a young a young coordinator who was going to be given autonomy to just build this defense. Syracuse checked all the boxes, at least on the surface, right? There's always things behind the scenes maybe we don't know. But you kind of hit on it there, yet all it took was one SEC offer, and they're out the door. So this just goes to show you that you can be in the ACC, you can have this television money, you can have the big donation that Syracuse got the $25 million. You can have a reputation of maybe a program that under Dino Babers has an opportunity here in the ACC. Everything that we discuss, yet they're so close yet so far away here. That's what this tells me. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would caution against trying to paint with too broad a brush because at the end of the day, we're, we're dealing with human beings making personal decisions. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, Zach made a decision that he felt was in his best interest. That's not to say another coach who would be offered the position at Syracuse might not look very fondly on that and say, there's no better option for me than Syracuse. Now, you know, again, we, we don't know uh, what the criteria that Zach was really looking for. I mean, I, obviously, I think he was ready to move up to the Power 5 level. Syracuse provided him that opportunity. Uh you know, but so did so did Mississippi State, and uh, you know that's the sort of sort of the the reality that that we're in. You know, I, I will say, you know, I was I was pretty excited to see you know the three three five come here. You know, at the, at the I end was of, too at the end of my yeah. workouts. I was doing my sets in three three five increments. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was I was kind of feeling feeling the vibe here. Um, and so now we look at uh, you know the the direction here. And where we're going, uh, if you stay with the three-three-five, if this now uh, throws the whole thing into disarray, I think you know you go you go with the best available candidate. I think you know Dino locked in on Zach uh, at some point throughout the process of this of this uh, you know couple months long national search, and you know again if Mike Leach wants you as defensive coordinator, it again speaks to they are targeting good candidates and. You know, the, the track record shows that, you know, even going back to, uh, you know, the previous regime, you know, Clark Lee was a position coach here. I mean, they've had good coaches come in here and uh, whoever's next, you know, you hope that he's another good assistant coach ready to to help this program grow and build. Now, jumping on the offensive side of the ball, Dino Babers went the opposite way than what he was doing with Zach Arnett. He's staying in the, the family, so to say. It was Sterling Gilbert, who was at McNeese State as the head coach, even used that La Familia theme that Dino Babers has. They coach together in two previous stops, same offensive philosophy, seem to be streamlined here to 
patchwork in offense that gave up 45 sacks last year. We all know the issues that it had, but maybe found something at the end of the year. There was, you know, some flashes there. Jawar Jordan was starting to show something. I think that offensive line at least found where they needed to be. They brought in a, a big transfer from Florida. We'll see if he can get eligible this year. And at least there's something to work with there if you're Sterling Gilbert, where Zach Arnett had a complete rebuild with seven starters gone off that defense. So tell us about, for those that haven't really followed up on it, Sterling and the move there and, and how that came about. Yeah, I, th- I think when you look at really both coordinator hires this offseason, you know, there was no doubt Syracuse and Dino wanted to be different on defense than what they had been under Brian Ward. I think when they looked at you know this offensive coordinator hire, they wanted to uh, make a return to the roots of the genealogy of of this offense. And obviously Sterling was a guy that coached with Dino going back to the Eastern Illinois days and for a year at Bowling Green. You know, extensive, extensive knowledge of the Bryle system and Dino's offense. Um, I think this was really about uh, returning the staff to a point where they have more brains in the room that speak the same language and can bring new ideas that evolve from the system that Dino wants to run and has seen uh, take off in, in other places. What did you think, Stephen, of Tommy DeVito puts it on social media I wrote a column about it earlier this week. It's essentially like it's become Fight Club. Like the first rule <laughs> of Fight Club is we don't talk about Fight Club. Right? Tommy recognizes all the hype, all the buildup. Like last off season, as you guys well know, was just a months long parade, parties, uniform reveals, ticket sales boosting. Days before the season starts, they're on the steps of City Hall. It was just like they got the key to the city every day, practically. This offseason is looking a little different, especially now with the Zach Arnett news that we discussed. So is the less is more approach the right one for Syracuse coming off a humbling five and seven season? What did you think of Tommy's message? I get it. You know, I think it's common uh, for for men that age to, to kind of have those emotional narratives, right? I, I would say that's not necessarily the lens that I looked through Syracuse's season last year. I look at it as... Well, they had a thin margin for error on the offensive line and lost Sam Heckel and Ryan Alexander left. They lost McKinley Williams, their best run stopper, and they weren't able to stop the run. Uh, you know, I kind of look at the, the physical limitations, and, and and we talked about that offensive coaching staff. Like They couldn't work around that offensive line. Dino Babers and Mike Lynch, who were really the only two guys in that room with extensive system knowledge, could not figure out a way to work around their limitations. Tommy DeVito was the most sacked quarterback in the country. They didn't really have a running game for most of the year, and you, you end up playing three offensive linemen who weren't entirely ready. Uh, so did were they 5-7 and seven last year because they had this mini-series and because players were excited coming off the best, year in se- best season in 17 years? To me, I, I say no. I look at other things, but, you know, I get it. They're, they're 18- to 21-year-olds. You know, they – believe in momentum and and the emotional kind of tides that go within that and you know Tommy is is trying to become a leader on this team I think he already is but trying to step up into a bigger leadership role and finding common ground within the program with all these kind of things that are going on uh, I think is important and, and this is seemingly his way of trying to do that you just hit on something by the way do we know what's going on with Mike Lynch and Kirk Martin and some of those coaches that supposedly were we thought we're being left by the wayside here, but I haven't heard anything official on that. 
I would say no, nothing official. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious Kirk Martin won't be coaching the quarterbacks with uh, with, with Sterling Gilbert, Gilbert yeah. being there. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I think we all kind of have notions. I would be personally surprised if Mike Lynch left because, again, we're talking about system familiarity. Maybe he struggled with some play calling aspects, but he's a guy who has been around Dino for a while. He is a, a brain in the room, and Sterling Gilbert will, will now, I believe, join the two of them. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Jeff Leapak come from McNeese State too, another guy who really knows the system. So I think, generally speaking, you're going to see more of those guys coming in. And someone like Kirk Martin, who's only been there a couple years, maybe is someone who does get pushed out. And you look at the rest of the room as Reno Faree and Justin Lustig, guys who have done well here but, again, don't have that system knowledge. So what is that group exactly going to be? We don't know yet, but I would lean toward thinking that it's going to be more guys who are able to correct mistakes with players, who are able to see what is going wrong on a play and immediately be able to make an adjustment to, to see what a defense is doing in a game and say, okay, we've seen this before at Bowling Green or at Eastern Illinois. Here's how we can counter that within our scheme. I think they need as much brain power in that room as possible. To think, boys, I was just going to bring you in here to talk about the schedule and signing day upcoming 2.0, <laughs> but a few other things have happened since then. But I do want to get to that. The 2020 schedule came out this week, so I'll just kind of go month by month here, and you guys tell me what you think. They open on a Friday night against Boston College. I think, Nate, you wrote it. They haven't played Boston College this early since the 60s, so that's interesting. They go to Rutgers September 12th, my 42nd birthday, which was supposed to be a trip to Madison, by the way. Getting some car mileage in early, by the way. I don't think I'm going to Piscataway for my birthday. You can still go to Madison. I still can go. There won't be a football game there. <laughs> the Colgate game opens the uh, new Carrier Dome, the roof, and the renovations and everything we think will be done by then, hopefully, because it's on the schedule now. And then at Western Michigan, September 26th. So they're going to be away from home a lot in September. Yeah, and and I look at those first two weeks, Brent, as really the table setters for, for the rest of the year. I think you, you look at you know opening up – on the road against an ACC Power 5 opponent is hard. I mean, that's that's something you got to prepare for in camp. Uh, you're not easing into anything with Colgate in week one, for say. Uh, and then to go back-to-back road games to open the year like you did a year ago, we know how difficult that is. You know, Rutgers, they're in the process of flipping their roster over. I mean, they're, they obviously are are in a, in a bad state of mind right now, 9-39 and 39 the last four years, but... Greg Schiano's back. He's pounding the, the transfer wire. He's trying to flip it over, much in the same way that Maryland tried to, to do a quick roster turn a year ago. Um, and we'll see how it shakes out. You know, no, those two games uh, cannot be overlooked. I mean, obviously no one's looking past Boston College based on what they did in the Carrier Dome last fall. And Rutgers, for as, as much as people want to overlook them and just pen in a win, uh, you know, BC and Rutgers played – a competitive game last year. I mean, those those are still peer programs for Syracuse right now that I think, you know, you can't just automatically lock into and, oh, those are going to be hard-fought games. And, again, uh, I think those two games will really set the table for how excited people get when Louisville rolls in here in October. Well, that's the thing. You can go through it with a fine-tooth comb, but that season the air came out of it in week two when they went to Maryland and got trucked and all the expectations and the hype and everything – Everybody took a step back and said, wait a minute, something's wrong here, and it never really got fixed. So just goes to show you how important those September games can be. As we were saying, Stephen, with everything on, on the road, the one home game is Colgate, 
And think of everything they're trying to put together right now. By the time you really get it all there, put your plans in, reformulate your offense and defense, get to camp, and then you got to go on the road for three or first four games, they are up against it here. Oh, no doubt. And you're going up against two head coaches in the first week who, who are – New head coaches. You don't. I mean, I think you can you can gain ideas of what they'll try to do, but you can't just look back at last year's film. So there's going to be preparation involved. And, and by the way, you don't even know what defense you're running right now. So like, it's very hard to even begin to get into that frame of mind. When are, are you? If it ends up being Steve Stenard and Nick Monroe, and maybe they don't change so much stuff, you could see the defense being all right the first couple of weeks. They're going to have some serious turnover just as far as usage. I think they graduate seven starters, really young at linebacker. They're going to have to figure some things out. But if they put in a new system, these guys are going to be learning on the fly. It's it's going to be a really challenging first two weeks in terms of preparation and just getting the players on on the proper pages. So doing that on the road won't be easy. Um, and and remember that offensive line. You know we're going to talk a lot about the defense. That old line is still going to be young, and they really struggled to communicate even at times late last year. So maybe not the two harshest environments. And, and then even you add in Kalamazoo for Western Michigan, not not the worst, but. There are some real challenges there. It's a bowl team last year. Yeah. Just as we go into October. So you start with Louisville in October at home. There's only one bye week on the slate this year, and that is October the 10th. Liberty comes to the Dome this time. I don't know if Hugh Freeze is going to bring his hospital bed this time, but that was a bowl team last season. At Clemson on the 24th, and then Georgia Tech on Halloween. October the 31st, what jumps out at you with those teams? I'll tell you the first thing that jumped out at me. I instinctively, when Georgia Tech was on the schedule, said, oh, crap, that triple option. That's not there anymore. Different Georgia Tech team that will come in at the end of the month. Yeah, I I still look at uh, you have a little bit of a break before you go down to Death Valley. You know, you have the bye week on the 10th, and then you're home for Liberty, which is, again, a a group of five slash independent Uh, non-conference game you know the expectation is you you handle business against that type of level of opponent so you have a chance to really you know once you get past that Louisville game to more or less rest up a bit before you go down into Clemson and then you know you get out of Clemson and you really take stock of what you have to do the last month of the season. November starts at Wake Forest and they'll have that game in mind that ended the uh, 2019 season Trill Williams and really the, the signature moment of that season, the 94-yard <laughs> touchdown. And then a really interesting run here. So you get NC State at home, and then a short turnaround against Florida State on a Thursday night. At least both of those are at the Dome if you're Syracuse, and then you finish the season at Pittsburgh on the 28th. Yeah, I'd say if Syracuse is going to go bowling, they, they need to win early and often. I mean, you look at the depth of this team, and it's it's still lacking. Uh, almost across the board on offense, we don't know who's going to be Tommy DeVito's backup. Syracuse obviously missed on all of its top targets uh, thus far. Offensive line, you've added Chris Bleich, the transfer from Florida. He's confident that he'll have his waiver approved. It's the NCAA, we'll see. But even so, then you've got, if you, if you feel good about Patrick Davis, six guys. Well, if that wasn't enough last year, what makes you think that's going to be enough this year? Um, Tristan Jackson's gone too. So you got to reload on offense. I mean, there are, and, and we've talked about the defense. We don't even need to go into that again. But there are so many things working against this team on the field that I have a hard time seeing 
them avoiding a couple of injuries. You know, that I, th- I just think the margin for error is even thinner than usual with how the roster looks right now. We, we still have a good six months in, until the fall. Uh, but, you know, none of those none of those games sound like games that Syracuse is going to win right now. It doesn't. And, and things can change, but you go through the schedule, I think their six most winnable games are in their first eight. Obviously, Louisville and Clemson being the other two. I mean, I, I look at the ACC and, and see a, a lot of its best players from a year ago opting to return for their senior year. I mean, Travis Etienne is the headliner. You know, yeah, T. Higgins goes the, to the NFL, but I don't think anyone was expecting to have to deal with number nine again for another year. Pitt has a lot of defensive talent that opted to skip on the NFL in Jalen Twyman and Patrick Jones and Paris Ford. Uh, Wake Forest got Carlos Basham, their really good defensive end back. Now they lost Jamie Newman as a, as a grad f- transfer to Georgia, but you know they have capable quarterback play behind him and Sam Hartman, who I believe threw for more than 300 yards in the second half against Syracuse. Uh, so uh, I, th- I, I kind of agree with what Dino had said throughout last fall, that the ACC will be better than it was this year. I don't know if it's going to be uh, at the top of the country as it, as it relates to you know some other leagues like the Big Ten and, and the SEC and whatnot, but it's it's going to be a challenge again. There's, there's going to be no uh, cakewalk uh, once you start conference play. Not at all, and I think it emphasizes what you guys said about how important it is to pick up as many wins early as they can, but we thought that last year too, and the Maryland game happened and he wasn't eligible for the draft, but, oh, by the way, Trevor Lawrence is still at Clemson, too. So there's there's another uh, issue Syracuse will have to deal with with a new defensive philosophy coordinator and a lot of players to replace. Now, how many of those players come from the recruiting class? We'll see. It's hard for younger players to get on the field at certain positions. But signing day 2.0 is coming up. There's somewhere between, what, Stephen, four and eight four spots and eight. Yeah, available. What what are you hearing right now? Who are they targeting? And this brings to mind something either recruiting or, or transfer market. They need another quarterback in that room to push Tommy DeVito. And as we record this, they don't have it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think they'd like to use one of those spots on a quarterback. Uh, there's there's no name that's hanging out there. I would say there's uh, a couple of guys who I think the, the staff appears to be monitoring on Twitter. But, man, they're kind of at the end of the rope here. And uh, this is what hap- has happened each of the last – uh, two or three cycles uh, since they got Tommy. So quarterback is still a big question mark. As far as actual guys, they do have coming up. Uh, Chase Atkinson, who is their only verbal commitment, will be taking an official visit this weekend. Uh, I think he actually got to Central New York today. And Durant Jones, another defensive back target who has not been offered. He's from the Atlanta area, and Steve stenard has been actively recruiting him. He's going to be on campus this weekend as well. Um, and then they have an- another defensive back coming up next weekend, uh, a safety, uh, Jihad Carter, who has been told that he is the top safety on their board. So they already have two defensive backs signed. Will they take two more? Will they take three more? I, I don't know. Uh, I think when you were sure you were running the three three five, you got to make sure that DB room is well stocked. We don't know what Syracuse is running now. Maybe that changes kind of the how you want the books to be balanced. But yeah, I think they need to go out and get a quarterback. I think an interior defensive lineman's on the list. Maybe a grad transfer linebacker. Uh, Michael Jones is kind of looking like the guy in that room right now, and and 
again, what are you doing on defense comes into that. That's the big question that hangs over all of this. You know, the, I think they're going to look at receiver too. Yeah, I mean, with I Trish, agree. With Trish, Trish, yeah. Trish I agree. out the door now, I think you got to look at an outside receiver as well. Donald Stewart, a guy who they recruited out of Paramus Catholic four or five years ago, is, is grad transferring out of Stanford. Uh, I would not be surprised if they looked at him. Listen, it's not the sexiest thing to talk about in the world, but Sterling Hoffrichter is going on <laughs> and is going to get picked. Right, so did they find his heir apparent in, in James Williams, the Georgia recruit? Is he just going to step right in and have the opportunity to be the guy? It appears. Well, the opportunity. I don't think you give a punter a scholarship without expecting him to compete for the job. But uh, if Dino's shown us anything, it's that the best player is going to play. A couple years ago, we thought Sterling Hoffert was in line for double duty. Lo and behold, Andre Schmitz, your starting field goal kicker in week one, and then he goes on and wins the Lou Groza Award. So uh, I guess you never exactly know, but you know they wouldn't have given him a scholarship if they didn't want him to come in and, and be the guy. Syracuse could use a few more Andre Schmitz at different positions in this recruiting class. We'll see how it pans out. Gentlemen, it has been a pretty crazy week. We'll see what else comes here, how Syracuse responds, who they hire, what the defense will be going to be a very busy off season here we'll be reading of course thanks for joining us here today as always on the syracuse sports podcast that's episode 63 of the syracuse sports podcast thank you so much to Stephen bailey and nate mink for joining us thanks to you for listening don't forget to subscribe itunes spotify stitcher wherever you get your podcasts look for syracuse.com podcasts hit that subscribe button and they'll show up wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can listen on demand on your time. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Brent Dax. We'll catch you next time. I'm Brent Axe, and these are your Syracuse Sports Headlines. Syracuse University matched another school's contract offer in a last-ditch effort to retain defensive coordinator Zach Arnett, according to Athletic Director John Wildhack. Arnett, who was hired by the university 11 days ago, reneged on his agreement with SU by accepting an offer from Mississippi State on Wednesday afternoon. Wildhack said Arnett signed an offer sheet with the university. Wildhack said Syracuse then increased its initial offer to match the new offer. Arnett decided to leave anyway, saying he couldn't pass up the chance to run an SEC defense. Syracuse will hire Tommy Costanza as its new volunteer assistant for men's lacrosse. Head coach John Desco confirmed the move after practice Wednesday. Although Desco said the news remains unofficial until announced by the school, Costanza was already on the field helping out. Costanza replaces Kevin Donahue, who left as a regular Orange assistant last summer, to move into the volunteer spot. Donahue then decided to give up that post as well during winter break. Cicero North Syracuse running back Mike Washington has received a scholarship offer from Colorado State University. Washington saying, quote, all the hard work in the offseason is paying off. Getting a D1 offer is a blessing in itself. It was Washington's first offer. North Stars coach Dave Klein contacted multiple coaches across the country, including Colorado State coach Steve Adazio and running back coach Brian White. Adazio, fired by Boston College last month and hired 10 days later by Colorado State, served as a tight end coach and offensive line coach at Syracuse University from 1995 to 98. White spent two seasons as the Orange's offensive coordinator from 05 to 07. After a few conversations with Klein and Washington, Adazio extended a full scholarship offer 
to the all-CNY running back. Those are your Syracuse Sports Headlines. I'm Brent Axe.